Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. We're gonna jump into the second and final week of this series that we are calling Tree Huggers. And it was so cool just to hear feedback and I feel like everyone was preaching the message back to me last week as I went into the lobbies and got text messages and I heard so many cool things that the Holy Spirit was teaching all of us that I didn't even say. And that is so cool. That's exactly how God works. And so uh, we're gonna continue in this series today. And if I could sum up the last message, the sermon in a sentence, if you will, it would be this. If you wanna follow Jesus, be a good tree. Live a planted rooted life, and you will produce fruit and do what God has called you to do. And I would highly encourage you to go and listen to that if you missed it last week, and I think it will encourage you. But today, I wanna talk about roots, but I wanna talk about roots from a different angle. I wanna talk about getting back to our roots. I wanna talk about our family tree. You know, when I was in second grade, I'll never forget this, is one of my favorite teachers was Mrs. Ligaris at Word of Life Christian Academy, the school that was right here in our building for a couple of decades. And, and I remember she had this project that we got to do, and it was a family tree project. Did you ever do something like this in school? And so we got a big poster board, and we got to paint a tree. And then she said, I want you to do some digging, and I want you to find out where your roots are. I want you to go back as far as you can on your mom's side and on your dad's side, and I want to know anything you can find out about your family tree. And I don't know why, but this just fascinated me to no end. Like I was enthralled by this idea. And I don't think it's any secret, but our family is very Italian, okay? And so we're Italian on both sides, as far back as you could go. And uh, of course, my dad, you hear his stories all the time about his big family, seven brothers, Roman Catholic, as Italian as you can imagine. Well, my mom is equally Italian and she has some pretty cool stories because she was born on Taylor Street in Little Italy. And so she literally, for the first four years of her life, grew up in Little Italy. Her uh, family owned an apartment building. Her uncle owned it. And all of her family lived in this apartment building. And so I'm gonna show you a picture of her grandparents, who would be my great-grandparents. This is Grandma and Grandpa Poro. And um, they were such a cool couple. I, I never really knew my great-grandpa as much because he passed away when I was pretty young. But I knew my great-grandma until I was in my teens. And she was an amazing cook. And I'll never forget the smell of walking up that old apartment building and getting to eat her homemade cooking. It was, it was beautiful. And what my grandpa's claim to fame is that he was a master tailor for the Marshall Fields department store in downtown Chicago. And get this, he used to tailor suits for Al Capone. True story. And uh, he said he was just as mean as you would have thought he was. He was not a nice guy, but he tailored suits for him nonetheless. And this is cool. On both of my family's uh, family trees, they both originate from Reggio Calabria. So we're, we're all crazy Calabresi, if any of you Italians know what I'm talking about. And so it can be fireworks. We're a lot of fun, but we're a little bit crazy, and we like it that way. And... Uh, a couple years ago, my dad and my mom, they always had this kind of running joke that my dad was more Italian than my mom, and she would say, no, I'm more Italian than you. And so they decided to put their money where their mouth is, and they did one of those ancestry reports. And I remember, like, the whole family was, like, waiting with bated breath to see, like, is my dad really more Italian than my mom? Because he was convinced that he was. And, uh, like, he had pasta sauce running through his veins. You know what I'm talking about? And so finally the results came in. And they opened up the envelope, and wouldn't you know it, my mom is like way more Italian than my dad. Come on. And so uh, next time you see my dad, uh, give him a hard time about that. He's still waiting for them to overturn the results somehow. I don't, I don't know if that's possible, but you know, 
There are millions of dollars that go into 23andMe and the Ancestry Report. And why is that? Well, I think it's because deep down inside, there is a longing in all of us to know where we come from. Like, where, where are my roots? What's my origin? What's my family tree? And have, have you ever had like your spouse observe something in you? And then they're like, oh, you are just like your mom. You are just like your dad, which by the way, don't do that. That's probably not a good idea. You know, don't weaponize that. But um, we, we all have family members where we share the same traits. We look the same way. I was in the backstage today, the backstage area, and somebody thought that my brother was in the room, but it was actually me because our voices sound similar, I guess. And, and there's something to that genetically. But then have you ever wondered like, man, why am I the way that I am? Like, why do I do that? You ever done something you're like, I didn't want to do that. And I hate that about myself. And I always told myself I would never do that because mom and dad do that. But here I am and I'm doing it too. And here's the reality. It's because Jesus lives in your heart. But Pete Scazzaro says it this way, but grandpa lives in your bones. And so you can trace who you are, the good and the bad and the ugly, all back to your family tree. And as much as we could attribute that to mom and dad, we could also attribute it even further back to our original family tree. We talked about this last week. You remember it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? This was Adam and Eve's tree where they made the decision to eat the fruit. I guess you could call this tree part of the Adam's family, right? Like this is where we come from. We're creepy and we're kooky, mysterious and spooky. Anyways, but if you, want to, if you want to trace any sin, any struggle back to a root, it can come from this tree that is your family tree in the Garden of Eden. This is why the Bible says, the psalmist, he declares, from my mother's womb, I was stained with iniquity. It's why parents, we don't have to teach our kids to disobey. We don't have to teach them how to be selfish or to prefer themselves over other people. We don't have to teach them how to say no to us. It's in their nature. It's part of their history, their family tree. And every sin and struggle we deal with has roots that run deeper beneath the surface. Remember last week, we talked about our roots extending one and a half times the height of the tree and, and how this is a beautiful thing in the right direction, but it's a double-edged sword because we have roots that run really deep for behaviors that are a part of the old us and the old nature. It's deeper than we think. What do you mean, Joe? Well, let's say it this way. Let's talk to the ladies. Ladies, some of you, you're in that season of your life where you're dating and you're like, man, I just have a problem with picking the wrong guy. Like I just, I find toxic people. My relationships always end poorly. And so we could say that that's the problem, but maybe that's just the fruit of the problem and the root is a root of rejection from our father earlier in life. Maybe he never spoke words of affirmation over us. And so we walk through our life insecure and we actually gravitate to people who are doing the same thing and we project insecurity. So we find people that will treat us with no value. It's deeper than we think. How about this? We think our problem is pornography or promiscuity, but maybe it's a root of abuse. Can I tell you something? If you struggle with looking at images you're not proud of, your problem is not pornography. It's deeper than that. There's a root that goes beneath the surface. How about King Saul? Remember, King Saul had a rage problem. He was angry. Remember, David went to play the harp for him because evil spirits were tormenting him. This is what the Bible says. It's a fascinating story. And what does he do? He throws a spear at him, and then he starts to chase him across the desert. He had an anger problem, right? 
Well, that's true. But I think that the anger and the rage was actually a fruit of a much deeper root. Because if you rewind just a few chapters, you can see his roots are present in envy, jealousy, pride, disobeying God. When God told him to do it one way, he would do it another way. Remember, he was always hot stuff in Israel and then David comes along and then the Israelites start singing songs like Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands and that root of envy and bitterness and jealousy and pride produced a fruit of anger and of rage. How about Naomi? This is in Ruth chapter one, verse 20. Naomi is the mother-in-law of Ruth and she goes to this foreign country with her husband and her two sons and her whole life is in front of her. Everything's going great. But time was not kind to her. And a few years later, she has lost her husband, lost her two sons. And she's talking to her daughter-in-laws. And she's saying, hey, maybe you should go back to your home country. Maybe you should go worship the gods you used to worship. Not great advice, but it's because she was hurting. And look at what she says. She says, don't call me Naomi. And Naomi, by the way, is believed to mean good or pleasant or winsome. She says, don't call me that anymore. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? And so I wonder if any of us have ever found ourselves in that position that maybe we were very hopeful about what life would look like, about what our career advancement would look like, our marriage would look like, raising kids would look like. And life has just beat us up. And all we can really look at is the loss in our life. And so we start to wear our wounds and there's a fruit of bitterness that can be traced back to a root of disappointment, a root of abandonment. It's deeper than we think, right? How about this? What's the root of my debt problem? The average American has so much debt. I've been one of them. We're working through and trying to undo decisions we made years ago. But could it be that it's deeper than a debt problem? Like 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And time out real quick because we hear this verse misquoted a lot and people will say money is the root of all kinds of evil, but that's not what the Bible says, right? And so it's not a problem to have money. It's a problem when money has you. It's a problem when money is a driving force in my life. Maybe it's not even that though. Maybe it's a root of discontentment or it's an identity issue because when I look at other people and they have nicer cars than me or they have a bigger house or they get to go on better vacations, then I think to myself, I must not be as valuable. So I need to spend money I don't have to impress people I probably don't even like anyways. Also, I can have more value and I can have a more firmly rooted identity. It's deeper than that. And then we convince ourselves, if I could just make more, I would have less debt. But if we don't, if we don't deal with the root, then what happens? We keep earning more and we keep running our debt even bigger because there's a root that runs deeper. How about Adonijah? He was one of the sons of David and he tried to take over the kingdom right out from underneath David's nose. David was sick and elderly and Adonijah and his mother kind of led this coup and this conspiracy to take the kingdom. And you know what's interesting? We could say that his problem was rebellion and that's accurate, but I think that rebellion was a fruit of something deeper. It was a root because in the same chapter, do you know what it says about Adonijah? It says that he was very good looking and David never corrected him. Isn't that interesting? And so his fruit of rebellion could be traced back to a root of no discipline, a root of no correction. And here's what's really scary. I mean, this is sobering. It's something that I think about often. 
our roots not only affect us, but they affect other people. Remember last week, we talked about how every healthy tree has a network of roots that it is interconnected with. And so it can, it can bring water and life-giving support to trees that are not doing well. They can interlock their roots and they can help each other and lean on each other when the winds blow. That's good. But that same network that can be bringing life can also be the same network that brings death. It can also deliver toxins and poison and offense and bitterness and gossip. We have to be careful about this, right? This is why Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no one falls short of God's grace, that no root of resentment springs up and causes trouble. And look at this, and by it, many are defiled. Wow. So we're in this forest of faith and we're all interconnected and we've all probably seen it at different churches at different times. If that goes unchecked, and we are not healthy, we can actually contaminate this community of faith that we're called to be planted together in. And, and this is why you can see it runs in families and you meet a parent that's bitter and angry and offended. And if you get around their kids, they're probably gonna be bitter and angry and offended. You get around a friend group and all of them gossip, then I guarantee you that the rest of the friend group is gonna gossip too. And here's the reality. We will never find freedom until we identify the root of the problem we are facing. And I said it last week, and I'm gonna say it again. If you're a tree, that means you got a trunk. And if you got a trunk, that means you got some junk in the trunk. And so today, I just wanna help you with the junk in your trunk, all right? I wanna help you with maybe some of the things that you're not sure, just like Paul said, I don't know why I do the things I don't wanna do, and I don't do the things that I wanna do. I wanna get to the root of the problem. So here's point number one. Number one, we have to make a radical move. We have to make a radical move. The Latin word radicalis actually means the root. It's interesting. This is where radical comes from. It means root. And so this is why in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, you'll see things like radical surgery. What does that mean? To get something out at the root. A radical in math, this is the root number. And so oftentimes we're looking at something that's above the surface. And in America, we love to do this. We love to pay attention to the things that we can see superficially. We do this in the American church too. So we're addressing all this stuff on the surface, but we're not getting any deeper. I wanna recommend a really good book to you. This is called Kill the Spider. It's written by Carlos Whitaker. I recommend this to anybody I can, especially if you feel like you are struggling with a habit or a part of your old nature that you would like to, you would like to conquer. Let me tell you Carlos' story. Carlos grew up in a pastor's home. He had it pretty good. His parents were great parents. Everything was great. And he even followed in his family's footsteps and he went into ministry. And so he's leading worship at a really great church. Things are good, except he's got this one lingering problem that has been with him since childhood and it's anxiety. And anybody that struggled with anxiety, I think you can relate to this. It kind of just haunts you. It comes with you everywhere you go. And, and you have some moments where you forget about it, but it's always kind of playing in the background. And so because he dealt with anxiety, he looked for things to numb the pain because he didn't want to feel those feelings. And for him, the, the biggest thing that he struggled with was pornography. And so pornography starts small, right? Anybody that struggled with, myself included, it started small. It started when I was 11 years old and I saw something I shouldn't have and, and it started to take root in my soul and then it became stronger and stronger. It was, it was like almost like a constrictor. Every time I took a breath, it would squeeze tighter and so this is where he finds himself and it ends up escalating because sin never stays where it is. It always grows and everything we feed grows and he fed that thing 
and it escalated into a relationship with someone that wasn't his wife. And he started talking to her online. And right when he was about to kind of go all the way in this affair, he came home one day and there was food on the stove and, it, and the, the burner was going, but his wife and kids were gone. And he saw his laptop opened up to the conversations that he had had with this other woman. And so he's devastated. He's, he's thinking, I'm never gonna have my marriage back again. And he understood why. He felt like a worm, felt like the lowest he had ever felt. Well, he's headed to this rehab because he's got these deeply rooted issues and he's trying to sort through it. And he's on the phone with his dad and his dad says, Carlos, I wanna tell you a short story. And so he says, years ago, I was in South America and I was preaching in these crusades. And this woman came up to me after one of the night services and she asked me for prayer. And I said, okay, what can I pray for you about? And she says, can you pray that God will remove the cobwebs from my life? And he said, okay, that's poetic. I guess I can do that. So he prayed for God to remove the cobwebs from this woman's life. She goes home and comes back the next night of the crusade and asks him to pray the same exact prayer. And at this point, he's starting to kind of ask questions and, and he says, all right, I guess I'll pray it one more time. But he determines if she comes back again, I've got something to say to her. So wouldn't you know it, she shows up the third night in a row, comes up to him after this amazing service and says, can you pray for me for God to remove the cobwebs? And you know what he says? He says, ma'am, no more praying for cobwebs. It's time to kill the spider. And this is what Carlos began to do in his life. He stopped just getting a weed whacker and going over the weeds with the weed whacker. And he started doing the hard, dirty work of pulling up the roots. This is what God is calling us to do. It's to make a radical move, right? Jesus said, he said, hey, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. What's he saying? Don't, let, don't leave anything in your life that could make you stumble and lead you back to the old nature and the old family tree. And so let's just get real here. If you're struggling with pornography, I help a lot of guys with this. And girls, uh, we, there are so many women that get counseling from women here at the church for the same thing. It permeates our culture. And so if you're struggling with that, what would a radical move look like? What would it look like to make a radical move? Well, I know it's hard to remember the days before Al Gore invented the internet, but there was a time before it was here that we all existed without it. And so maybe, maybe what it means is we cut the cord for a little while. And we live, without, we live without streaming services and we live without a smartphone. And I'm not saying you gotta go churn butter and live in the wilderness, but I'm just saying like, I would rather have a flip phone and be pure than have an iPhone 17 and be in bondage. Is anybody else with me on that? Like we have to make radical moves to do what God has called us to do. How about this? If you struggle with substance abuse or you struggle with partying and you just end up making decisions that are destructive, you end up in places you never thought you would. You end up sleeping with people you didn't want to. and You wake up the next morning and you're just kind of disgusted with yourself. Remember, Jesus lives in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. And so you might have to make a radical move so that you could have a radical change in your life. So what would that look like? Maybe it means telling your friends, I love you and we can hang out, but we're going to hang out on my terms. We're not gonna hang out at the bar because one drinks always blurs into two, blurs into too many. And so I'm just gonna live a radically different life. How about this one? This is the pardonable sin in the church and it's one I struggle with. Remember, I told you I'm Italian. So while I'm eating breakfast, I am thinking about what I'm gonna eat for lunch and what I'm gonna eat for dinner. And I wish that was a lie, but that's just the cross I bear, okay? And so you know what I have to do? 
If I, if I wanna not cater to my flesh and eat everything in sight and overeat, then I might not, I, this is a radical move. I might need to break it off with Ben and Jerry. You know what I mean? Like I might need to call it quits with little Debbie and I might not wanna stock my freezer and stock my pantry with things that are gonna tempt me. The Bible says, don't make provision, provision for your flesh. So in other words, I might not even be tempted right now, but I'm gonna set up restraints and guardrails and accountability. So in the moments of temptation, I couldn't do it if I wanted to. Make a radical move. Rip it up at the source. Here's number two. You gotta think about what you're thinking about. We've gotta think about what we're thinking about. I think if you've been here any length of time, you remember there was somebody that came here named Dr. Caroline Leaf. And she is a cognitive neuroscientist with a PhD in communication pathology, specializing in neuropsychology. So I'm gonna read what she says because I'm not smart enough to tell you on my own. But how fitting is it that her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf during our tree series? That just felt right. So listen to what she says about your thoughts. As you're thinking, you're actually building memories in your brain and the thoughts in your brain look like, guess what? Like trees. This is science. If the thought is a good one based on something positive, it actually looks different in the brain than a negative thought does. And the toxic thought, as I refer to them, will affect your entire body. They're gonna put a, a picture on the screen so you can see this is an actual picture, a brain scan of a toxic tree in your brain. And so the toxic thought, as I refer to them, will affect your entire body. They form a different type of chemical than a positive thought does. And the toxic thought causes little horns to grow on the branches in the nerve cells. And get this, those horns are actually a little pocket of chemicals. And those chemicals are toxic. And they squirt out poison that can make you sick. The poison goes first to the heart and it begins to choke it. Then it goes to the immune system and breaks down your defenses and makes it easier for disease to germinate in your body. And we might wonder, man, why can't I control myself when I get into heated discussions with people? Why does it feel like I get triggered all the time? Well, the reason that you get triggered all the time is because we might have a tree of trauma that has gone unaddressed. And we have these roots that form in our mind every time we allow toxic things to take root. And here's the crazy thing, those roots, the longer we travel those neural pathways, they eventually become ruts. And it becomes harder and harder to get out of the rut in our brain. Now, here's the good news. Well, first, let me tell you one more thing, a little bit more bad news. Listen to this. If you're dealing with unforgiveness, has anyone at any campus ever felt like it was difficult to forgive someone that wronged you? I'm at the front of that line. Sometimes I think we hope that it's just running in neutral in the background and it's not affecting our life, but I want, you to, I want you to hear what Dr. Caroline Leaf says. Toxic waste generated by toxic thoughts like unforgiveness, they can cause the following illnesses. Diabetes, cancer, asthma, skin problems, and allergies, just to name a few. Every thought that we think is impacting and affecting our brain. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We can't escape it. Now, here's the good news. We can consciously control our thought life and start to detox our brain. So she wrote a whole book on that. I would highly recommend it. And, and get this, it only takes four days to start taking the thorns off the trees. And really what we're doing is we're changing our neural circuitry. We're rewiring our brain and rethinking what we think. And in 21 days, you can actually grow a new memory over the old one. 
So science is just really proving that the Bible is true. And here's the cool thing. Remember, we can't just eliminate toxic thoughts. That's good. But we have to replace them with positive thoughts and even better, replace them with God's thoughts because we, we now have the mind of Christ. So this is what Philippians 4.8 says. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Think about those things. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You know, in another life, if I wasn't a pastor, you know what I would have loved to be? An air traffic controller or a pilot. Would any of you trust me to fly you in a plane? I don't know if I would trust myself, but if I could just sum up what an air traffic controller does, I'm dumbing it way down, but here's what they do. They, they permit planes to fly in the right airspace and they make sure that no one that isn't supposed to be in that airspace is allowed to fly there. And so because of 9-11 and all of those crazy things that have happened, you better believe, especially in America, if an enemy comes on our soil in our airspace and they do not have clearance, they shoot first and they ask questions later, right? Like they are grounded on site. It's a no-fly zone. And can I tell you something? You are the air traffic controller of your mind. And we have daily opportunity. There are thoughts and ideas that are swarming all throughout the air from media, from social media, from the music that we listen to, from the people that are around us. And then we have, we have our own mind that produces crazy thoughts. And so if you think crazy thoughts, this doesn't mean you're a crazy person. It's just like, welcome to Club Human. You're not a bad person, you're just a person. But we have to know what to do with these toxic thoughts. And so I have gotten good at taking these thoughts captive. And I just get good every day when the enemy comes at me with lies and the enemy is in my airspace. I just say, hey, you can't have my airspace. I'm grounding that thought. I'm taking that thought captive and I'm pushing it out of here because I have the mind of Christ. And when we do that, then we begin to replace those negative thoughts with positive thoughts. This is why Martin Luther says, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. This is a principle that works in our life. And so who says I have to spend hours on Facebook? If Facebook creates toxic thinking for me, or if I'm constantly being bombarded with the news, maybe I need to learn to read the news or to listen to 20 minutes of it and then go to my prayer closet and do something about it instead of just kind of ruminating on it and spending hours and hours. You know what's been the most freeing thing for me in my life? Just clicking unfollow on social media, or here's a good one because there's a little grace in this. Click snooze. See in 30 days. Try again later. If you can't be positive, then I'm gonna snooze you again because we have to control what's in our airspace and what's in our headspace. And sometimes we think deliverance comes through a prayer and this one-time experience, and that can happen. But far more often, it doesn't just come through a one-time prayer. It comes through a long-term process of daily just renewing our mind and thinking the thoughts of Christ. We gotta think about what we're thinking about. All right, here's number three. We need to change our name. Change your name. In other words, change what you call yourself. Now, see if this sounds familiar. Have you ever found yourself saying something like, oh, well, I'm just a Jones and all Jones have anger issues, you know? We blame it on our nationality, right? Like anybody that's Italian, oh, he's a hot-headed Italian, you know? And then we say Latin temper. And then Irish people like to claim it too. It's like every nationality, we blame it on our blood. And maybe we can a little bit. 
Have you ever heard yourself say this? Oh, my daddy was an alcoholic and his dad struggled with substance abuse and I probably will too. Oh, my, my mom and my dad, they had mental health issues and struggled with anxiety and depression. So that's probably my lot in life. Here's one that breaks my heart. I've heard people say this so many times. Nobody in my family lived past 60. So that's probably how long I'll live. We don't realize it, but the Bible says that there is life and there is death in the power of our words. We gotta be careful what we're calling ourselves. Maybe we need to change our name. Now, here's the good news. Remember our original family tree, the Adams family, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Listen to this. This is what the Bible says about you now, Romans 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, and that was Adam, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men, and that's Jesus. So for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. How cool is that? So here's what it's saying. Now you have a new family tree and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the tree of Calvary. Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And here's what that means. That means Jesus is your big bro. How cool is that? Maybe you came up in a family where your dad was kind of an absentee father or he was never affirming. Well, here's the cool news that in the family of God, you serve a God who is a father to the fatherless. Maybe you grew up an only child or maybe you didn't really have any brothers or sisters who believed in you and you're estranged from each other. Well, God is a friend that sticks closer to than a brother. And guess what? You inherited a family here at Believer's Church and in the body of Christ because you are now a part of a new family tree. And you've got a new father and a new future and you've got a new nature and you've got a new name. And I think we ought to just take a second at every campus and thank God that now we belong to the family of God. Not the tree of Adam and all the old stuff, but the new stuff and a hope and a future. And if we want our family to be free, then we gotta address our family tree. We've gotta look at where we come from and also where God is calling us to go. Now check this out. Galatians 3 makes this really interesting statement. It says, cursed is every man who hangs on a what? On a tree. And this comes from Levitical law. If someone was hung on a tree, this would have been a cursed situation and they would not have gone anywhere near it. And so I want you to get this. Jesus became a curse so he could break the curse over your life. The Bible says it this way. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. It was an exchange. It was this beautiful thing that happened when you came from the old family and the old nature into a new family in the new name. Now, let me ask you this. If you are in witness protection, just roll with me on this, okay? I don't know why you got into witness protection, but let's just imagine we are. What's the first thing that you would do? They'd give you a new name to go with your new identity. So think about this. Naomi did this in the wrong direction. Remember, she met beautiful and winsome and she changed her name to bitter. Well, you can see this throughout the Old and the New Testament. God likes to take people and he, he renames them. He changes what they call themselves. Think about this. Abram met exalted father. That was pretty good. But then God gives him this vision of all the stars in the sky. And he says, hey, this is your inheritance. And I know you're almost 100, but you're gonna be the father of many nations. So I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham. Sarai was named princess. That was pretty good. But God said, hey, I'm gonna take the focus off of you and I'm gonna make you Sarah, which means mother of many nations. 
And that blew her mind because she hadn't even started having kids. But God said, I'm gonna change what you call yourself. How about this? Jacob meant supplanter or schemer. He was a liar. He came out of the womb holding onto his brother's heel. He was always conniving and trying to get around uh, God and do things his own way. But remember, he meets God in the desert. God appears to him and God renames him and he calls him Israel. And so in other words, what he's saying is, I'm not gonna define you by your past. I'm gonna define you by your future and who you can be. I'm gonna call you by your potential. Change what you're calling yourself. Simon was named Peter and Jesus spoke to him as he said, you're gonna help me build my church. And what did he rename him to? Petra, which means rock. You're sturdy, you're stable, you can do it. Change your name. And so Joe, are you saying like, I need to change my name because I've always felt more like a Ronaldo than a Randy? No, 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 it's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, just change what you call yourself. Like, I, I like to practice it all the time. Whenever I have a thought of discouragement or doubt that comes out me and, and they come at me often, I just like to say, no, I thank you that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that I'm dead to sin and alive under righteousness. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Can you see yourself start to lift up in your countenance as you just start to declare that over yourself? Change your name. And this is where we're gonna end because here's the reality. We can't do this with positive thinking alone. We can't. We actually need the power of the cross. We can't do it with five steps to a better life and joining the Oprah Book Club. Nothing against the Oprah Book Club. It's deeper than that. It's about changing who we are by looking at the new family that we belong to, looking at our family tree. And uh, this week when I was preparing for my message, I was talking to my wife and I was really excited about it. And we were just talking about, in particular, Mara and the roots of bitterness. And, and I have to tell you, like in our life, this has happened in so many different ways. Uh, we have had to deal with that root. We've had to deal with that, that pain. And I can tell you, there have been many relationships. One of the, one of, honestly, the struggles for BC Boardman, when I knew God wanted us to go and, and help plant that and be a part of that community, I have had a lot of relationships that ended wrong and, and uh, not in my control and, and people that I thought would, would be friends for life and, and I felt abandoned or hurt. And, and so if that happens enough, what you start to do, your flesh wants to close off to people, Right? I'm just not gonna be invested in any relationship. I'll keep everybody at arm's length. And one of the things that God's just been teaching us is to just keep loving people unconditionally. Think about this. Jesus gave his entire life to people that he knew would let him down and knew it would betray him. But he did it anyways. There's something so freeing about that. And so we were talking about this and, and I said, yeah, I'm talking about Mara. And she said, this is crazy because just a couple days ago, I was reading in Exodus and she said, have you ever heard of this? And I said, yeah, but I can't remember. Remind me what happens. And so she sends me this scripture, and this is powerful. This is Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Listen to this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because they were bitter. And for that reason, it was named Marah. And so the people grumbled at Moses saying, what are we to drink? Now don't miss this. This is powerful. Exodus 15, 25. Then he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a what? A tree. And he threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet. 
This is what you call a type and a shadow in the Old Testament. It's God pointing to Jesus in the first half of the Bible who would come in the new half of the Bible, the new covenant. Can I tell you something? Apart from the forgiveness that you experience through the tree on Calvary, you will never be able to forgive other people. And so if it's just kind of white knuckling it and hoping that we're gonna be able to love people and forgive them, hoping that we're gonna be able to beat addiction, hoping that if we try hard enough, then maybe we'll get free. We'll never get anywhere. Ultimately, it's the power that comes only from the cross of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? When I start to think about the gap between me and God and how much he's loved me and forgiven me in moments when I have done the exact opposite of earning his love, it makes it so much easier to forgive other people because the gap between me and other people is very small. You know what I love about this scripture? It doesn't say that the bitter water became not bitter. It went from bitter to what? Bitter to sweet. And this is how God works. He likes to take something that's broken and make it even better. He likes to build it back to something that's even better than it was before. And so if you've experienced abuse and you think there is no way God can turn this bitter situation into a sweet situation, think again, but you have to come to the cross and there's power in that tree, your family tree, the cross of Jesus Christ. And so listen, I'm gonna invite you at every campus, online, TCI, just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment and just have a moment with God because one thing I can tell you is that he is speaking to you in ways I can't. And I want you, wherever you are, you might even be listening to this later on a podcast in a car. I want you to picture the roots of some of the challenges in your life that you feel like I want freedom from that. I want you to imagine what those are. And then I want you to bring those things to the tree, bring them to the cross. I believe God wants to heal you. He wants freedom to happen in your life. And remember, we said this isn't just a one-time prayer. This is a lifestyle. This is every day waking up and saying, God, I surrender this to you. And it's gonna take some time. This is why the Bible says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so it's not enough to just be sorry one time. It's every day I'm getting up and I'm gonna bring this to the cross. And I'm gonna say, God, would you help me to see myself the way you see me? Because I wanna live the life you've called me to live. And it all starts with us surrendering to God. And so if, if you're listening within the sound of my voice and maybe you even grew up in church or you know of Jesus, but you cannot remember a moment in your life where you said, Jesus, I call you savior and I call you Lord of my life. I give you my whole life. I'm not talking about were you baptized growing up? Were you a member of a church? Are you a member now? None of that. All of those things are good, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking what have you done with Jesus? It's the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And so if you can't remember a moment when you've given your life to Jesus, it's so simple. The Bible says if we believe in our heart and we say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. And so if that's you, can I tell you what God's not asking for? He's not asking for perfection, just asking for your heart. You will mess up. You will make mistakes. There's no perfect people allowed here. And God loves you right where you are, but he just loves you way too much to let you stay there. So church, can you help us pray this? There's probably two categories of people. One, if you've never prayed this prayer. And two, if you prayed it a long time ago, but you've drifted away and it's time for you to come back. Just repeat this after me at every campus. Dear God, thank you 
for Jesus and his sacrifice for me. Thank you that he took my place and hung on the tree that was meant for me. He took the punishment of my sin and called me righteous in right standing with you. Today, I decide to follow Jesus. I won't be perfect, but every day I'm gonna take a step. I am a Christian. Now, if you've been far from God, say this, everybody help them out. God, I'm coming back. I've been far away. I've been running the opposite way. Coming back today. I'm all in, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. This is the most important moment of the service. If you prayed that prayer, one, because you decided to follow Jesus for the first time, or if you're saying, I'm coming back to God today, I'm not gonna have you get out of your seat or come to the front, but I would love to go home celebrating. Like the Bible says, heaven throws a party if one person decides that. And so all over the room here in Boardman, TCI, online even, if you prayed that prayer today, can you just boldly just wave at me? All over the room, if you raised it once, just raise it again. And we're gonna put a Bible in your hands at every campus. Do me a favor, if you raised it once, just help our hosts, just make sure they get to you. Wave it at me one more time at every campus. If you're online and you prayed that prayer, you can actually text the word believe to the number on the screen and we'll send you a Bible in the mail. We're just that excited for you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.